0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we continue our reflections into uh, the sacred text that we will hear this Sunday, this 27th Sunday of Ordinary Time, where we will have the opportunity to reflect into the wonderful gift of marriage and family. You know, we don't usually get into the first and second readings, but the first reading begins with the well-known words, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. In our Lord's time, there were two opposite opinions in Judaism in regard to repudiation. According to one of them, it was lawful to repudiate one's wife for any reason, at the discretion of the husband. According to another, however, a grave reason was necessary established by the law. One day, "...they subjected our Lord to this question, hoping that he would adopt a position in favor of one or the other thesis. However, they received an answer they did not expect." So that kind of sets up our gospel text. So it's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 2 to 16. "...some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife." And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, He was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Amen. So we have some powerful words here from the gospel text, certainly relevant for us today. How, my friends? Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh." Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. Let those words echo in our ears. Now, in light of how we opened up this evening, the law of Moses about repudiation is seen by Christ as what? But an unwanted disposition, but tolerated by God because of hardness of heart and human immaturity. Jesus did not criticize Moses for the concession made. He recognized that in this matter, the human lawmaker cannot fail to keep in mind the reality in fact. What does our Lord do? He reproposes to all the original ideal of the indissoluble union between man and woman, one flesh that must be the only form possible of marriage. However, Jesus did not limit himself to just reaffirming the law. He added grace to it because, my friends, that's what Jesus does to everything. (laughs) This means that Christian spouses not only have the duty to remain faithful until death, they also have the necessary aid to do so. Brothers and sisters, What Jesus Christ did at the wedding feast of Cana was sanctify marriage as something holy, set apart, but it can only be set apart if we journey in His grace. From Christ's redeeming death comes a strength, and that strength is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it is to permeate every aspect of the believer's life, including marriage, Brothers and sisters, if you have a spouse, your spouse should never be autonomous from anything that you do. Huh? God calls you to love your spouse just as you are called to love God. So, as I just noted at the wedding feast at Cana, our Lord raises. Marriage to the level of a sacrament. And certainly this is what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Ephesians chapter five verses 23 and following, where he speaks of the love shared between man and woman as a love that is to signify the love shared between Christ and his church. To say that marriage is a sacrament does not only mean, as often believed, that in it the union of the sexes is permitted, listen and good, which outside of it would be disorder and sin, it also means, and even more so, that marriage becomes a way of being united to Christ through love of the other. And in this way, my friends, it becomes a real path of sanctification, a real path of holiness, a real path from which we can draw deeper into the very love of Christ. This positive view is certainly something we have been looking at each and every Wednesday as we explore theology of the body. In those Wednesdays, we took up Benedict's work, Deus Caritas Est, an encyclical on love and charity. And in this encyclical, Benedict XVI does not compare the indissoluble union in marriage to another form of just erotic love, but presents it as the most mature and perfect form, not only from the Christian, but also from the human point of view. Listen to the words of Benedict. It is part of love's growth toward higher levels and inward purification that it now seeks to become definitive, and it does so in a twofold sense, both in the sense of exclusivity this particular person alone, and in the sense of being forever. Benedict continues, love embraces the whole of existence in each of its dimensions, including the dimension of time. It could hardly be otherwise, since its promise looks towards its definitive goal. Love looks to the eternal. So my dear friends, if you are married, you are to love your spouses to eternity. What a powerful vocation we have been given. You know, this ideal of conjugal fidelity has never been easy. Certainly, adultery itself is a word that resounds ominously in the Bible time and time again. But today, the the permissive and hedonist culture in which we live has made it immensely more difficult. And consequently, we have this alarming crisis with the institution of marriage. It is going through something in our society that maybe, arguably, has never been seen. Divorce rates skyrocketing. Everywhere we turn divorce proceedings just a few months after wedding vows is becoming far too common. Words like, I am sick of this life, or "or I am gone, or each person for himself are uttered far too often between spouses at the first difficulty. Not at the second, the third, but the first. In marriage, we suffer from the common mentality of use and discard. This is The kind of language that Pope Francis has been using. If a device or tool is in some way damaged or dented, no thought is given to repairing it, only the thought of replacing it. You apply this mentality to marriage, and what you have is deadly. Here, we could say we need to rediscover the art of repairing. We have to replace the use and discard mentality with that of use and repair. Remember that overarching truth that comes to us from the mind and heart of John Paul II. We were made to use things and love people, and we use people and love things. Brothers and sisters, we have to replace that use and discard mentality with that of use and repair. St. Paul gives very good counsel in this respect. What does he say? Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Forbearing one another and If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Bear one another's burdens. What is important is that one must understand that in this process of repair, of crises and surmounted obstacles. Marriage is not exhausted, but is refined and improved. In point of fact, such refinement is the path of holiness. Remember what that word uh, sacrifice means in the Latum. sacrum fitse" to make holy. We are called to sacrifice because we are called to be what? Holy. And there's no one greater particularity where we accomplish this more definitively than in that of marriage. So we have this call to sacrifice. Now, if you were to draw from the wisdom of the saints in their path towards perfection, the saints would often go through this so-called dark night of the senses in which they no longer experience any feeling or impulse, we could say. They have aridity, dryness. They feel empty. They do everything through willpower alone and with effort. After this comes what? The dark night of the Spirit, in which not only feelings enter into crisis, but also the intelligence and will. Saint Teresa of Avila speaks to this beautifully. There is even doubt that one is on the right road. If it has not all been in air, complete darkness, endless temptations. The great saints move forward only through faith and faith alone. Does everything end there? No. On the contrary, what the saints teach us is this. All was necessary for purification because they discovered after they have passed through these crises, they realize, that is the saints, how much more profound and selfless their love of God now is in relation to what they were experiencing before their dark night of the senses. Now, as I speak to this, maybe some of you might recognize what I'm talking about, this increase in this selfless love for God, this increase in this self-donation. We can apply this to marriages, because in many ways, many couples have gone through the night of the senses in their marriage in which spouses have no rapture of ecstasy, and if there ever was, it is only a memory of the past. Some also experience the dark night of the Spirit, the state in which the profoundest option is in crisis, and it seems that there is no longer anything in common. If with goodwill and the help of someone, these crises are surmounted. One realizes to what point the impulse and enthusiasm of the first days was but little compared to the stable love and communion that has matured over the years. Many of you out there might be nodding your head, yes. Many of you out there might be struggling, and you might be saying, but I don't feel. Remember what love is. Love is never reduced to an emotion, but it is a decision, because love itself is what? To will the good of the other. Love is not always the fun thing to do, but the right thing to do. And when we offer that right thing to God, it indeed, in God's light, in the light of faith, becomes a joy. Never forget that. That love is never to be reduced to a feeling or emotion, but something that goes deeper, willing the good of the other. If at first, husband and wife loved one another for the satisfaction it gave them, today, perhaps, they love one another a bit more with a love of tenderness, free of egoism, incapable of compassion. They love one another for the things they have gone through and suffer together. They love one another because they have entered into that deeper sacrificial love, that agape love, that love that is echoed on the cross. You know, in talking about this, there is a story that is close to my heart. Uh, Some years ago now, I was at a conference, and I had the wonderful opportunity of listening to a couple that had been married for 75 years. And I still, to this day, remember, like it was yesterday, the elderly couple in their 90s walking up the stage and very frail walking to the podium. And I even remember that um, stools were given so that they can elevate themselves to the mic. The MC asked them the question really, the question we all wanted to know and we all wanted them to answer. And the question was simple How did you do it? How did you do it? 75 years. And I remember the elderly wife grabbing the microphone and saying, we're still getting to know each other. We're still getting to know each other. Now I thought to myself then, what is that? We're still getting to know each other. You've been married for 75 years. Surely you know each other. And then the couple continued to talk. At one point, the husband speaking of the wife, she surprises me every day. And no, I thought, wow, here you have a couple that has been married for 75 years. She says we're still getting to know each other. He says she surprises me every day. There it is. There it is. Brothers and sisters in Christ, please understand something about the nature of love itself. God is love. What does that mean? Well, God is mystery. The Greek word for mystery is mysterion which literally translates as inexhaustible reality. God's love is inexhaustible. And if we are called to share in this love, what does that mean? Our love for one another to the to the degree that we share in Christ's own love is what? Inexhaustible. Is this a challenge? Of course it is a challenge. But this is a challenge we are to mount that we might begin to breathe a new air of what it means to call one another spouse. Amen to that. Amen to that. This is the stuff of Christian love. As we talk about the family, it would also be important to talk about the words of Pope Francis a week ago in Philadelphia. It was really interesting because in Philadelphia, Pope Francis ditched his prepared remarks in speaking to the thousands of families gathered there for the world meeting of families. He gave an impromptu reflection on the beauty and dire importance of family life. And among so many other striking comments, he said this, the most beautiful thing that God did, the Bible says, was the family. Let me say that again. The most beautiful thing that God did was the family. He continued, and and I'm paraphrasing here, A society is as strong as the family is rooted in the beauty, goodness, and truth of Jesus Christ. What is Pope Francis saying there? Well, a society is as strong as the family is rooted in the beauty, goodness, and truth of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. Remember that the family itself is the cell to society. It is what gives life to any life-giving society. Why does Satan want to destroy this? Well, because he wants to destroy life itself. So he's going to be busy destroying marriages. This is why our gospel today that comes to us from chapter 10, verses 2 to 16, is so important. We have to be willing to sacrifice. Is it easy? No. But let us heed the advice of St. Paul. Forgive one another enter deeper into that Christian forgiveness. Pope Francis continued, God's love is so overflowing that it could not be egoistic. It had to be poured out of him. Family is really family when it is able to open its arms and receive all that love. What is he saying there? We have to open our hearts and allow the love of God to pour into our hearts which means first we must empty our hearts of all of the muck and mire that gets in the way the pope continued so great was his love that he began to walk with humanity with his people until the right moment and he made the highest expression of love his own son and how did he send his son but through a family i mean have you ever thought about that my friends God enters human history, and he spends 30 of his 33 years doing what? Well, most of which we don't know, right? The end of the Gospel, Luke chapter 2, tells us that in the humble abode of Joseph and Mary, he grew in wisdom and stature through obedience. But we really don't know a whole lot. What we do know is at the age of 30, it was time. So for three of the 33 years he spent in ministry, in 30 of his 33 years, he was giving us a tell into the importance of family life. Brothers and sisters, he didn't have to say anything to tell us about the importance of family. He lived it. He lived it. He lived it in anonymity and in profound silence every time I come across that gospel text at the end of uh, the gospel of Luke chapter 2, I'm always so deeply moved. I really begin to reflect into the importance of family life. This is why we need to give due attention to just not Mary, but also Joseph. What an, an extraordinary task Joseph had before him. Amen to that. Looking down at the gospel text, there is another piece I was hoping to get to, so I'll go ahead and uh, read this and touch upon it. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Isn't that interesting? Here we are again. Over the last three weeks, we have seen the disciples box Jesus in, in regards to who they think has the right to be in his presence, or who they think Jesus is to minister to. My dear friends, John said it plainly. Jesus Christ has come for Jew, Gentile, and Greek alike. He has come for all people. Yes, he disclosed in divine revelation that indeed he has come to establish a universal covenant, a Catholic covenant, and there are certain prescriptions in which we are incorporated into this covenant. But be rest assured, he seeks to reach out to all people. He's not confined per se, how we think he works. So let us always be present to that. The gospel continues. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What is he talking about there? What he's been talking about every week he talks about children. What have we said? We must acquire that disposition like that of a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old whose whole livelihood is dependent upon their parents, whose whole livelihood is dependent and contingent upon their relationship to their parents. So important. Why? Because we are to become like the 3-year-old the 4-year-old and 5-year-old in this sense the first beatitude blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of god the poor in spirit are the humble yes but they are those that akin to a child find themselves surrendering to the father in all things he closes and he took them in his arms and blessed them laying his hands upon them but dear friends The church is the household of God, is it not? The church is the family of God. And our encounters each and every day that we have in our families, in our marriages, are like a prism from which to better understand our own relationship with God the Father. And there's something else to these last few verses. To all married couples out there, if you are able to have children, he says, have children, let them come to me. Be open, be open. God desires children to bless. All right, I'm looking up at the clock and we are almost out of time here. Just a postscript to our discussion today. and It has me going back to that phrase, one flesh. What does that mean? Does that mean just a mere sexual union? No, it means more than that. It means growing together so that two people become increasingly one in heart and soul. What does Jesus say? that God himself brings into being between the two people, this process of becoming one. God has united them. It is very important that we understand marriage as a sacrament, because it is to better understand the role that God has in the middle of our marriage. Because every time two become one, there should always be a third, and that third is God. Amen to that. Okay, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And I've got here a prayer from Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. We see in the gospel that the good God sometimes wishes to make us wait, but he refuses nothing to faith, to confidence, and to love. My dear friends, let us go to God in faith with great confidence and the love that he has given us.